through 20. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had been often bound with chains and shackles, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and were drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they, told, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. What is winning in your life and in your world today? Is it judgment or bondage? Is it greed, or shame, or doubt? What if grace won? Our life in this world would be different. The good news of the gospel is that grace wins. For your grace that we just sang about, grace that wins every time. Father, we pray that your grace would win even now in this place over whatever holds us in bondage, whatever has us chained down, whatever is keeping us, Lord, from the abundant life that you want to give us today in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Mark chapter 5, the passage that was just read for us. Again, this series is called Grace 
wins and we're talking about how God's grace can win over everything and anything that we're dealing with in our lives. And incidentally, I hope that you've been able to or will be able to connect with one of our Grace Wins small groups that are meeting right now. We've asked all of our existing groups to uh, be just journeying with us this next five or six weeks through this series and just talking about these truths together. Uh, We've started some new groups as well, some who are meeting online, including one that's uh, especially for our iCampus watching right now, a midweek opportunity to just discuss together uh, what uh, we're learning in the Word of God. You know, this is also a great series to think about inviting your one, uh, that one that God has laid on your heart to invite them to come and to hear uh, about how grace can win in uh, their life. Last week, we talked about how grace wins over guilt. We saw that in the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And today, we're going to see how God's grace wins over bondage. I don't think anybody would question that this man that we just read about in Mark chapter 5 was in some serious spiritual bondage. This man had been taken over by a legion of demons. And it's really an incredible story. I, I think one of the most memorable and powerful of all of the healing stories that we find about Jesus in the Bible. And so before we talk about what this story has to do with us, uh, let's just walk through the story together. Let's see what happened. If you look just a few verses before our story in Mark 5, at the very end of Mark chapter 4, you'll see a story there about Jesus journeying by boat across the Sea of Galilee with his 12 disciples, and a storm comes up that scares these disciples to death. And they think they're going to die. And so they go and they wake Jesus up. He's sleeping through the storm. And he gets up and he speaks to the storm and he says, peace, be still. And immediately the winds and the waves are still and the storm is over. And in verse 41, the last verse of chapter 4, it says that the 12 disciples were terrified. Now, they weren't terrified because of the storm outside the boat, because that storm was over. They were terrified because of the person that was inside the boat. They were terrified at what they just witnessed, that there was someone standing in their boat who had the power to speak to wind and speak to waves, and it listened. And in verse 41, they said to one another, Who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? As one person put it, they were about to find out, but they were going to find out from the most unlikely source they could have imagined. A demon-possessed man was about to tell these disciples who Jesus really was. And don't miss the fact that these two stories go together. The first story uh, tells us about how Jesus had authority uh, over everything in the physical world. And this story we're looking at in Mark 5 tells us that Jesus has authority over everything in the spiritual world, that he truly is Lord over all. Well, after their harrowing trip across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the 12 disciples make it to the eastern side of the lake, a mainly Gentile area. And no sooner do they get out of the boat than verse 2 says they are immediately met by a man with an unclean spirit. It's another way of saying that he was demon-possessed. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that there was another man there, two demon-possessed men on this occasion, but Mark's gospel, and Luke's as well, focuses on the more outspoken of the two, the one who directly interacts with the Lord. 
verse 3 says that this guy had his dwelling among the tombs. Now think about that. Most people feel a little creepy visiting a cemetery, particularly a cemetery at night. This man was living in a cemetery. And as we're going to see, he was spiritually speaking as dead as all of his neighbors were in the crypt. Most likely this man lived among the tombs because he had to. Because it's where all of the townspeople wanted him to be. They wanted him to be just away from them. Somewhere where they did not have to see them. The, the, the story tells us that they had tried multiple times to corral him and to chain him up. But the demons inside of him gave him a supernatural strength so that he kept breaking whatever chains they tried to put on him. And that part of the story reminds me of that old 80s movie Goonies where they try to uh, keep Sloth chained to the wall. But he keeps breaking the chains, especially when he wanted to get that Baby Ruth candy bar. Well, that's, that's, that's what was happening with this guy. Right? No matter how they chained him, he would break the chains. He was too strong, too powerful. I can imagine all of the moms telling their sons and daughters, now don't play down there by the caves, right? That's where the crazy guy lives, right? Don't play down there uh, at all. This man we read in another gospel's account, he ran around naked. Uh, Mark tells us here that he cried out, he shrieked, and he screamed. He would cut himself with stones, most likely pieces of flint with a jagged edge on them. He'd cut himself with it. And Dr. Daniel Aiken thinks that he did this because the demons inside of him were trying to get him to end his life. And that may be the case. Certainly the picture here is of a man who is living more like an animal than a human being. The demons were attacking the very image of God inside of this man, and they had stripped it away. They were so close to destroying him completely until the day when the Son of God got out of that boat and walked along the shore right where this man lived. Verse 6 tells us that when the demon-possessed man saw Jesus get out of the boat, he saw him from a long ways off and began to run to him, and he falls down, and my text says he worshipped him. Now, the Greek word there for worship can also be translated like it does in the NIV version. He fell on his knees in front of him. And I think that's really the idea. He wasn't as much worshiping Jesus as he was bowing down to him and showing respect to him. Now, notice the demons know right off who Jesus is before he even introduces himself to them. Look at verse 7, what they say. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And you can see here that demons actually have excellent theology. Right? They know who Jesus is. They, they were able to answer the question the disciples had when they were in the boat. They wondered, who is this that the winds and the sea obey him? Well, these, this demon-possessed man gives them the answer. He is the very Son of God, the Son of the Most High. So they recognize him, and they know that one day Jesus was going to come to judge them. And they're begging him not to do that yet, not to torment them before it's time. In verse 10, they asked that Jesus would not send them out of the country. Luke's gospel brings even a little more clarity there, and they asked to not be sent out into the abyss. Now, the abyss is the place that 2 Peter refers to, a place where some demons already are locked away, awaiting their final judgment. 
And these demons did not want to go to that place just yet. You know, one of the creepiest parts of the story is in verse 9, when Jesus looks at this man and he asks him, what is your name? And the demons speak through the mouth and through the lips of this man. Imagine you standing there and hearing someone say this to you in verse 9. He answered and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was a Roman military unit that consisted of 6,000 soldiers. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that this man had precisely 6,000 demons inside of him, but it does clearly mean that he had a lot of demons inside of him. He had been taken over by an army of deacons, that had, demons that had taken possession of this poor man. Of course, the demons know that they are defeated. They know that they're in the presence of someone who is uh, far more powerful than they are. They know that Jesus is about to cast them out of this man. And so they start to negotiate. They start to bargain with him uh, to let them take up residence inside of a herd of 2,000 pigs that was nearby. And Jesus permits it. We'll talk more about why he may have permitted it in just a moment. But for right now, I just want you to picture that. And to picture how crazy that would be if you were there that day. As soon as all of the demons leave this man, they enter this herd of 2,000 pigs, and they become crazy little demon pigs. right? And they start running towards this steep embankment that led down to the sea, and they all drown. I remember a few years ago when I had the chance to travel to Israel, one of the great privileges we had was to be on a a boat and to sail on this same Sea of Galilee. And I remember when we came near the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the tour guide pointed at a spot along the bank and said, this is the place where this story in Mark chapter 5 took place. You can see it here in this picture. It's the only place where the the bank uh, just steeply descends right into the sea. Uh, Up at the top of that uh, embankment, uh, there is a small village named Kersey, and very close to that, only a mile away from this spot, they've discovered ancient tombs that are there in that location. And you can just picture that. You can picture the, the, the little demon pigs running down that embankment into the water. Well, suffice it to say, the pig farmers had had better days before. They, they just lost their entire herd of 2,000 pigs. And so they go running back into the town to explain what happened. The townspeople come out. They, they come to the cliff. They look down and see all of the piggies floating in the water. They, they look and they see this man that before had always been a crazy person and been naked. And they see this man. He's sitting there clothed. He's sitting there in his right mind. You would think that they would have been amazed. That they would have been astonished at the power of the Lord Jesus who had caused this miracle to take place. But instead, just like the disciples were in the boat... They were afraid. And they actually begged Jesus to get back on his boat and sail away. Now, we're going to come back to that later, but but how sad is that? Right? To come that close to God in the flesh and to ask him to leave you alone and go someplace else. That's what they did. The formerly demon-possessed man did not feel the same way as his neighbors. He wanted Jesus to stay. And if Jesus couldn't stay, he wanted to go with him. He begged him to get on the boat with he and the 12 disciples. But Jesus had another assignment, a harder assignment for him, in fact, to go back home. 
to tell his friends and to tell his family about all the great things that the Lord had done for him. Again, this, this is an incredible story. To, to our modern ears, we would have to confess, it's also a pretty strange story, right? A story about uh, tombs and a crazy guy and demons and drowning pigs. It's, it's easy to read a story like this and to think, well, you know, that's a neat story, I guess. But what on earth does that story have to do with me? You know, what, what, what connection do I have with this story? Well, the truth is there's actually a lot more that we have in common with Legion in this story and we might think. And with the time we have left, I want us to discover together three lessons that we can learn from this man, Legion. This message is about how grace wins over bondage. And the first lesson is about bondage. We are all in bondage. And we can't break the chains on our own. Now, Legion's bondage may be perhaps more obvious and easier to recognize than our bondage. Again, he was filled with an army of de- uh, demons, uh, an army of de- demons that had taken possession of him, that was leading him to a place, uh, a point of despair. Perhaps you and I are not in that kind of bondage this morning. But the Bible says that. Until we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are all in bondage to our sin. Jesus said, whoever sins is a slave to sin. That we're all in bondage to our sinful desires. It's a bondage that we don't have the power to break ourselves free from. And that's a biblical, spiritual truth that is true whether we recognize it or not. If you have not yet met Christ, if he has not yet set you free, then right now, at this very moment, the Bible says you are in bondage to your sin. Some of you listening to this message right now don't have to be told that. Because you already know that. And you already feel that very, very deeply. You know that right now you're in bondage to something. There's been something in your life that has had a hold over you for years. And maybe you have tried over and over to break free, but you have not been able to. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to drugs or even prescription drugs. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. But whatever that addiction is, it feels like you're handcuffed. It feels like you're chained to the floor and you don't know how you're ever going to be free from the thing that enslaves you. And if that's you, I am so glad that you're here today because there's going to be hope in this message for you. Hope to be free, maybe for the first time in your life. Again, if you're listening, maybe there isn't some clear addictive pattern or addictive behavior in your life. But again, according to the Bible, we're all in bondage until we meet Christ, just in other ways. Back in verse 9 when he says, my name is Legion for we are many. You know, that actually could be said of us. Our name is Legion for we are many. Because listen, there isn't just one thing that's wrong inside of us. There are thousands of things that are wrong inside of us. There's a legion of things in our life that do not look like the way Jesus Christ lived It's not just one sin that's keeping us from him. It's the fact that we are sinners. 
And it shows up in thousands of ways. We're enslaved to our own sinful desires and we cannot break free. The similarities with Legion get even more intense at this point because what chains us down, listen, what chains us down is also demonic in nature. Again, this man had literal demons living inside of, our, of himself, but, but we should not kid ourselves and think that we're living in a different spiritual world than the spiritual world that he lived in 2,000 years ago. Satan is still alive and well. His minions, his demons are still on the prowl. In fact, this is what John wrote in 1 John. He was writing to believers, and he reminded them of this truth. He said, we, are, we know that we are of God, And the whole world lies under the sway, under the influence of the wicked one. The world that we're living in is being influenced by Satan, by our adversary. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place for the lives and the souls of all people. He wants to take us captive. Listen to what Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy about what he should be trying to do, how he should be trying to share with those that are in captive around him. He said, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, listen to this verse, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Just like 2,000 years ago, the chains that hold us down and keep us in bondage are demonic in nature. They come from an adversary who wants to take us captive and keep us captive to his will. Our chains are also destructive. And we need to see that. They're destructive because that's what Satan is trying to do. He wants to destroy our lives. Remember earlier how we talked about how this man legion was cutting himself with those sharp rocks. We talked about how possibly he might have been trying to end his life because that's what those demons inside of him were trying to prompt him and lead him to do. Remember what those demons did as soon as they got inside the pigs. They led them right down the bank and into the water and destroyed them. Again, people have asked, well, why did Jesus let that happen? It seems cruel that he would let all those pigs die. And I I certainly understand that sentiment. But I think Jesus had several reasons on this occasion for letting this take place. First of all, he wanted everyone to see visible evidence that all of the demons were gone from that man. But secondly, and this is so important, I think he wanted everyone to see what those demons were trying to do to that man. That those demons were trying to destroy him just as much as they destroyed those pigs that everyone saw. And again, this is still what Satan is trying to do in our lives. Jesus told us that in John chapter 10, referring to Satan as a thief. He said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he is after in all of our lives. And yet, listen to this beautiful promise from Jesus about why he came. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And I'm praying today that there might be somebody here listening right now. Satan has been trying to steal from you. Ultimately, he's been trying to kill you and to destroy you. But today, you're going to experience for the very first time the life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ wants to give you. So our chains are demonic. Our chains are destructive. But listen, also for some of us, our chains are what the world would call decent, respectable chains, acceptable chains. 
Let me tell you why I say that. I think the saddest person in this story is not actually the crazy demon-possessed guy living in the tombs. Because at the end of this story, he's no longer that way, is he? By the end of this story, he's free. By the end of this story, he's restored. By the end of this story, I would say he's saved. Now, the saddest people in this story are the respectable, decent townspeople. They weren't living down in the tombs with this crazy man. They were living up in normal society. And yet when they came down and they saw what had happened to this man, and they saw Jesus, they were afraid and they asked Jesus to leave. And what's so sad about that is that they did not realize that they were in bondage also. It's just that their chains looked different than his did. What's sad about that is that they did not realize that they needed the very one they were sending away, that the very one they sent away was the only one who could set them free. Here's the truth I want us to see today. There are two types of people who are in bondage to sin, the disreputable and the decent. And both types usually want Jesus to leave them alone. I just pray history doesn't repeat itself today. Because I hope you see that it could, that you could come in here today trapped in sin, separated from God on a path that leads to an eternity in hell. And you could hear this story about how Jesus saves this crazy guy and you could think to yourself, well, I certainly don't need that. I don't need that. I'm not in bondage to anything. I am free as a bird. I don't need Jesus and I don't need anybody else. I've got my life together. And if that's what you say, Friend, you will be sending Jesus away from you every bit as much as these townspeople did. Jesus is standing before you this morning, offering you grace. If you leave this place unchanged, what you're doing is the same as what they were doing. You're asking him to get back on his boat and to sail away from your life and to let you be. How tragic would that be? Friend, I beg you, don't send Jesus away. Invite Jesus in. And when you invite Jesus in, he will set you free from whatever is wrapped itself around your life and around your soul. No matter what chains are wrapped around you, Jesus can break them off. I know we might not always think that. We might not always believe that. That's another lesson we need to learn from the day that Legion met Jesus. Here's lesson number two. We might feel like grace can't win over our bondage, but it can Because Jesus can. The the truth is, nobody that saw Legion before he met Jesus would have thought there was any hope for him. Nobody would have saw this man running around naked, cutting himself with rocks, shrieking and screaming. Nobody would have saw that man and thought there was a chance for him. Everybody would have said, well, he is past the point of hope. There's nobody that can reach that guy. There's nobody that can help him. But friend, nobody on earth is past the point of where God's grace cannot help them. With just a word from Jesus, the demons that filled this man were sent running. They were told to vacate the premises and the man was free. And we need to apply that truth to our own lives. If Jesus has that kind of power, If Jesus has the kind of power with just a word, he can send thousands of demons running away to hide, then do we not think that Jesus has power over whatever it is that has a hold over our life? 
Do we not think that Jesus has the power right now to win over alcohol, to win over drugs, to win over porn, to win over gluttony, to win over laziness, to win over broken relationships, to win over whatever it is right now that has us in bondage? Whatever it is, he has the power to send it running. It may not be as visible as this. I'm not saying that the day that you um, get saved and ask the Lord to come into your life, that you're going to open your eyes and see a thousand demon pigs running away from you. Probably is not going to look exactly like that, but on the inside of you, there will be some shackles and some chains that will be broken apart. Because when we meet Christ, not only does he set us free from the guilt of our sin, he sets us free from the power that sin has over our lives. I've talked to people who have told me their story of when they came to know Christ. They were dealing with addictions all the way up until that moment they met Christ. And some people have shared this with me, that the day they met Christ, that addiction was gone. That they had tried everything in their life to try to get rid of it on their own strength. But the day they met Jesus, it was gone. That they no longer had the desire for whatever that was that had a hold of their life before that day. Now, that's not the case for everyone. Other people have shared the, the story with me that when they met Christ, it was the beginning of a journey for them. And it, it took years. It, it took some starts and some stops along the way. But eventually, God led them to a place where they looked around them and they were finally free. And they're able to look back and say, the day that that freedom began was the day that I met Jesus. Because his grace won over bondage. What a difference his grace can make in our lives. I love the description in verse 15. Look at that again of this man after he met Jesus. They came to Jesus, these are the townspeople, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, first, I love all the past tenses there, right? It said he had been demon-possessed. He had the legion inside of him, but not anymore because his life had been changed. And, and what a transformation it was, right? This man who had been running around like a crazy person, now he was sitting down. This man who had been naked before, now he's clothed. This man who was out of his mind before, now he's sitting there. He's in his right mind all because of Jesus. And the same will be true for us. There will be a transformation that begins to happen when we meet Christ. Again, maybe you say, well, I don't think that I'm running around like a crazy person right now. I'm not living in a cemetery right now. And yet the reality is before we meet Christ, our minds are not right. Our minds are twisted by all of our sinful desires. And it shows up in thousands of ways. It shows up in the way that we treat other people. It shows up in the way that we give in to our lusts and our desires. It shows up in the way that we speak. It shows up in the decisions that we make. It shows up in the way that we lie and try to manipulate other people. It shows up in the way that we pursue our own gain all the time with no regard for others. That's how we lived before we met Christ. And some in this room, perhaps that's a description of how your life still is. When you encounter Jesus, when he gets out of the boat and walks by the spiritual cemetery where we all are until we meet him, everything is about to change. And that change and that transformation is obvious for all to see. Here's how Paul put it 
2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. All things have become new. Here's how Paul put it in Romans chapter 6. He said, thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given to you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. You have become slaves to righteous living. So if you're here today and you know Christ, then thank God. Do do what Paul has told you to do and thank him for setting you free. But if you're here today and you know that you're still in bondage, don't think that you can't be free. Don't believe that lie. The grace that set Legion free, the grace that set me free, the same grace that can set you free, if you'll let it. Here's the final lesson we can learn from Legion. I love this so much. Once Jesus sets us free, our life's mission is to tell others about the grace that can win over anything. I love how much this man so badly wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to jump in the boat. So he never had anybody show that kind of love and that kind of compassion to him. He wanted to go with the one who had set him free. And isn't that natural? Isn't that what every disciple of Jesus should want to do? Right? We want to go with Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. But in this instance, Jesus told the man that the way that he could follow him, the way that he could be obedient to him, wasn't to physically get in the boat. It was to go back home and to tell everybody what he had done for him. Look at verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And verse 20 says that he was obedient to that, that he went all over the Decapolis, that means the 10 cities, Gentile cities that were on that side of the Sea of Galilee. He went everywhere telling them about the Lord and they were amazed at the transformation that they saw inside of him. Now, isn't it amazing that these people in this region wanted to get rid of Jesus? They wanted Jesus to go away. They were basically done with Jesus. But isn't it neat that Jesus wasn't done with them? That Jesus sends their own neighbor back to them to keep on telling them and keep on showing them what his grace can do. And that what his grace did inside of that formerly demon-possessed man, his grace could do the same thing inside of them if they would let it. You know, when the Lord gives me the the privilege of leading someone to faith in Christ and being able to pray with them to receive Christ, there's a few things that I almost always will share with with that person on that very first day of their walk with Christ. I'll tell them a few things. First of all, I'll I'll encourage them to find a, a local church that teaches the Bible because we weren't designed to live out the Christian life on our own. We need each other. Secondly, I'll encourage them to be baptized make a public statement of their faith in Christ and what he's done inside of their hearts. Third, I'll encourage them to get a Bible and start reading God's word for themselves. And fourth, I'll encourage them to start praying to their father who has adopted them as his son or his daughter. And then the last thing that I'll encourage them to do is I'll encourage them before they go to sleep that night to tell somebody what God has just done in their life. You know, some people will say, well, I don't feel qualified yet to to do that. To go talk to people about Jesus. And I, I understand that, but, but what about this guy? This guy hadn't had any Sunday school classes. This guy hadn't been through a year of discipleship. This guy certainly hadn't been to seminary. This guy had been a Christian for about five minutes. And Jesus said, I want you to go. 
Because you have a story to tell of the grace that I've shown you and how your life has been transformed. Friend, if you know Christ, you have a story to tell. God can use your story of grace to help other people find that grace. And I wonder how the Lord is, is calling you today to respond to his word. You know, God, he doesn't ever want us to read his word and then go away and do nothing about it. Now, he's, he's given us his word because he wants to speak to us and he wants us to hear it and he wants us to do something about it. What, what is God calling you to do about what you have heard? Like we said earlier, before we meet Christ, every one of us in this room was in bondage to sin. Again, Jesus said, whoever sins, that's all of us, is a slave to sin. Maybe you're here today and you, you would say, I know that. I, I know I'm in bondage to my sin. And I want to be free. I don't know how to be free. You know, just a couple verses after that in John chapter 8, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I want to pray for you and I want to invite you to come, if that's you, to come today and to let the Son make you free. You can talk with me or one of the other pastors that's here. We'd love to be able to introduce you to the one that set us free. And maybe you're here and you're already a Christian. And yet you would say that there's something right now in your life, some habit, some addiction, some pattern of sin right now in your life that you've fallen back into that right now has its tentacles wrapped around your spiritual life. And maybe nobody else knows about it but you and, and the Lord. But you know, you're trapped, you're stuck. You, you cannot move forward right now because there is something in your life that has a hold over you. And if that's you, in just a minute, I want to ask you just to come and pray here at this altar. Now, there might be a time, depending on what it is you're struggling with, that you need to, to talk to somebody, a pastor, a friend, and get some accountability in that area. But it, but it starts with coming to the Lord. It starts with coming broken before him and just confessing whatever it is. Asking him to set you free. Maybe there's somebody else on your heart that you want to come and just pray for them. Somebody that you know that's, that's stuck in something and you, just, you know you can't set them free. You know the only one who can is the Lord. You just want to come and lift them up to God. Pray that God would set them free. You can come and do that. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray right now thanking you just for your grace that wins in our life. Your grace that can set us free from anything and everything. And I pray right now that your grace would release us from bondage. Everyone that's in this room, everyone that's watching online right now, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would sweep across every heart and every life. Father, that we would be set free. Some that need to be set free for the very first time. And some believers that need to be set free something that's crept back into their life. Father, thank you that your word says it's for freedom that you have set us free. And we don't want to return to that life of bondage because we don't have to when we know you. God, work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you